Hey everybody, welcome back to Say Your Story. I'm Dean Stevens. Thanks for joining us today and thanks for clicking. Uh, and also thanks to Bullets Benign, uh, our house band who's not really uh, quite in the house. Um, they are a local band. You can check them out on Facebook uh, to see when they're playing around the Charleston area. They play around here quite a bit. On this episode of Say Your Story, January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And our guest today is Kat Weehunt. She started a nonprofit here uh, in the Charleston area called The Formation Project. I first met Kate uh, back in September, August of 2021. In fact, her story was the last story I did over at Channel 4. But she is uh, a victim, a survivor, and now an advocate uh, for those caught up in the web of human trafficking. She was trafficked uh, by a family member from the age of 14 to 17. Her story is um, powerful. Uh, she has found uh, an amazing outlet and an incredible nonprofit uh, helping people uh, get out of that life and then putting them in a situation where they are now able to thrive. Uh, it is my uh, honor, it is my pleasure to introduce you all uh, to a friend of mine, Kat Weehunt, as she says her story. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Always good to see you. Good to see you. Eyes light up when I see you. Same. I know. Isn't yeah. that wild how that works? Yeah, it is. Remember the first time we got together? And and we started working on your story. I was thinking about it a minute ago. I couldn't even remember how we connected. All I remember is that you came to shoot the story, and we stayed and chatted for like an hour and a half after. And I was like, "This guy is awesome." <laughs> yeah, I remember that day. That day changed my life in a lot of different ways. Yeah, me too. It did. Yeah. You know, it was. I don't know. Your your story was so powerful to me that day, and it resonated on so many different levels that I literally walked out. It was, and I think I've shared it with people, it was like an out-of-body experience, truly. I haven't gone that deep into my self-work because my therapists keep leaving me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just trying to figure out, I'm fig trying to figure out why, I'm trying to figure out why it was like that. But I think it was because of, of your story initially, but then I think it was also because of your courage you know, because a lot of people, I'm sure you've seen people and, and connected with people who don't have that courage to open up and just be raw. You yeah. know, that's the word that I've come out of most of these podcasts that I do. I mean, the people that I talk to who, who share their story and choose to be open, it's just raw. Yeah, it is raw. I think it's because you also had a story and you spent a lot of time listening to stories and mm. I think it resonated because you, you had a story, a powerful story. Yeah, I think anybody that we were just talking about the trauma, the trauma piece, right? I think, what's the percentage of people that you know who've had trauma in their life? Everyone. 100%. 100%. And it changes. It changes them. And then, and then once you open up and then you share that raw story, what did that do for you? It gave me purpose. I tell people... I don't know what I would be doing today if I didn't go through the trauma that I experienced. Mm. I'd be cutting hair or doing something that didn't give me as much meaning, I think. And although it was awful and there was no way to compensate for it, there definitely was a way to make it a gift to other people. And it keeps me going, keeps me waking up every day, keeps me showing up for work, showing up in, in my relationships. But what was it that, what was it that moved you to open up and share instead of saying, I'm not going to tell anybody about this. I'm just going to go cut hair. <laughs> That's a good question. It's a, it's so heavy. 
it's so heavy to carry a secret around. It's so heavy to carry trauma around. And when I was able to share it, it like lifted up off me a little bit. Then I realized I wasn't the only one that went through that either. And leading in vulnerability helped other people be vulnerable. And when we can share that experience, it it lightens the weight on all of us, I think. Um, I just remember it being so heavy. And I also remember thinking, I'll never not think about my trauma every day. I'll never not wake up in so much pain mentally, emotionally. Uh, but when I started sharing and when I started helping other people, I don't. I genuinely don't wake up every day and think about my trauma. Uh, I think about the people that are accomplishing awesome things or the survivors that are doing the bravest things. And I think about uh, hope a lot more. Mm. Um, when Who was the first person you told? The truth, the real truth. That's why we're here. Um, I didn't know we had any lies between us. What's going on right now? No, for the first you know, while, I was calling it sexual abuse, but I didn't tell mm. people the extent of it. Um, the first person that I told was a woman in my church. Mm. Mm-hmm. Close woman? I mean, close friend? Yeah, she was like a mentor to me. Mm. Yeah, it was terrifying. Was it? Yeah, I remember physically shaking. And what was her reaction? So much compassion. See, that's where it is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? If she would have freaked out on you, mm-hmm. not on you, but if she'd have freaked out, yeah, it may have changed your path. Oh, totally. Totally. Right? Uh, yeah, so much compassion. I was worried that they would see me differently and... They did, though. Judge me, but they did see me differently, just not in the way that I thought. Because you thought they were going to think of you as loser, mm-hmm. weak, mm-hmm. right? Dirty. Trash. Mm-hmm. And they saw you as hero. Yeah. Strength. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy how that works? Yeah, I think how, how you respond to people disclosing really does change the trajectory of what they're going to do with their trauma. Whether they're going to continue to hide it. Just like kids. Kids, if they're going to disclose something to you, they're waiting for your reaction. And they're they're... They're going, can you handle it's this? so true. And if you don't, they're going to recant. Just kidding. That didn't happen. Right. But if you respond uh, with openness and tell them you believe them and that you don't judge them and that they're strong, uh, it gives them a little bit of strength to continue to speak up and speak out. Yeah. The other part of that, um, to go back a little bit about the freedom of, of sharing Right. And you said it freed you a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. Did that freedom, did that, did that amount change through the years that you became all of a sudden, all of a sudden this gorilla is off my shoulder? Yes. Yes. Little by little, it it did take some work, but it was an initial huge weight that came off me once I said it out loud. Once I told my parents, Mm -hmm. once it wasn't a secret anymore, um, gave me, it took the weight off so I could do the work. No, I don't think any amount of trauma recovery or work that I was going to do in the next coming years would have been as impactful if I didn't have that weight off. If I just worked on my trauma recovery in secret, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have given me the freedom that I needed. It would have been a small percentage of what you're doing today. Yeah, for sure. So you and I met back in 2021. 
right? So a year and a half later, mm-hmm. um, the the journey I thought was interesting was from Florida to the upstate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you spent a short time in the upstate and found, or maybe not a short time, but you found that you couldn't find supportive services. Because people often tell, because I tell your story all the time, right? I sent you a text the other day. It was it was myself and then a, a couple of the nonprofits watching your story. And these are, you know, these are leaders who work with young kids. And um, so one of their questions was, how did she get down here? And I said, well, it was because she couldn't find the supportive services in Greenville in the upstate. And you still continue to find that support with services down here. Yes, I do. It wasn't that I couldn't find supportive services. It was... I couldn't get the community to get behind the work that we were doing. And there wasn't a community of survivors to tap into. Mm. Uh, The way that services were happening in the upstate was every survivor was served separately in a silo instead of they wouldn't introduce survivors to each other. Uh, They didn't want us to get each other in trouble or they didn't want us to break confidentiality. Um, And they had good intentions, but... there was something missing and they were throwing services at people but there was no end goal it was like you have a job you have your GED you have a safe place to live you're good but the job was at Waffle House making minimum wage not making their rent they had no community the house they were living in was you know awful conditions Mm -hmm. and it wasn't good enough and it was there was no other survivors working in the movement either and I needed to build a place led by survivors for survivors. I needed more survivors to get a seat at the table to start talking about what needs to be done. And I needed to build a community because I didn't have a community. Um, and so I really came here to build the community that I needed truly for survivors. And what does that community look like today? It's amazing. It's It's been life-changing for me just to experience it um it was scary and there was risk involved in just kind of opening up a community of survivors who've been through some really hard trauma uh not knowing what that would look like or how that would go um we're also in trafficking a lot of us are brainwashed to kind of fight Mm. each other and see each other as competition and not get along um and so it was a risk but survivors what i've learned is we're so resilient and we can help each other get on food stamps or we can help each other find a job. Right. But we needed to practice healthy relationships with each other. We needed Mm -hmm. someone to be at the hospital when we were having babies because we don't have family support. We need someone to go with me to my first therapy appointment to sit in the waiting room. You know, we needed somewhere to celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthdays, like real life community. And that is what the survivors here do. They run our program. They do real life community with each other, support each other, encourage each other. And it's, it's so impactful. The relationships are really what get us into this a lot of time. And relationships are exactly what, what it is that keeps us out of this. Can you go back before your recovery, mm-hmm. if you call it that? Right. Can you go back before your recovery and identify a healthy relationship before the trauma started when you were, what, 12, 14? Mm-mm. Right. And I remember the interview that we did that was so 
one of the things you said was like, I never dreamed that I would live to 21. I never dreamed that I would live to see, I would be married. I never dreamed these things. Yep. Right. And now look what you've dreamed. Yeah. Right. Your nonprofit formation project, right? Young women walking through your doors looking for help. Yeah. Probably never could have dreamed that either. Could you have? No, if you told me this is what I was going to be doing at 17, I would laugh at you. <laughs> I'd be like, there's no way anyone would let me run a nonprofit. But no, I couldn't dream. And that's the other part about being in community with survivors is that when my sister survivor accomplishes something big in her life, she does that for all of us. And when I see another survivor in a healthy relationship or marriage, it shows me that that's possible for me too. Um, and it's so important, I think, to have that mirrored for you. Uh, January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. Is it? When did that start? Did you ever think that you would be such a, an important cog in this month of January in the community that you live? Because you are. No, I did not think that at all. Um, I don't know how long Human Trafficking Awareness Month has been a thing, but it has not been for a long time. It's... I would say human trafficking is still in its infancy stages as far as a social justice movement, uh, getting the word out and spreading awareness. So I'm really glad there is a month, you know, because we need the awareness. A lot of people still don't know what trafficking Mm -mm. looks like in in our community. Yeah. And again, what I've learned is that it's not just for sex. It could be for labor. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. There's it, it takes on a lot of different forms. Mm-hmm. Um, yours, obviously, in the sexual abuse and uh, sexual assault category or mm-hmm. that silo, uh, if you will. Um, you feel like there has been progress made in this community um, because I remember I remember the story as well. You talked about, you know, last month you had 12 people or whatever. The first year we identified 12 people. But because of training, we were able to identify 30 more. Like what do those numbers look like today? We've served over 100 women that have been actively in our program, uh, but the the identification of the issue is getting so much better. Mm. We are the second largest um, city in our state for trafficking right now. Charleston County is second largest county. Um, so it's happening a lot here, and we're recognizing it a lot better. We're getting countless referrals and now now that we're getting the word out we're training other orgs about what to look for um how to react to it and we are getting three referrals a week it's insane i'm gonna write that down just so i don't forget training other organizations Mm -hmm. right how important is that i mean obviously it's very important um but that would take on a whole different um a whole different program for your organization i would imagine yes it's a it's a really important part of how we get in contact with survivors because as survivors, we don't always self-identify as survivors of human trafficking because we're, we're thinking, well, we weren't handcuffed or, you know, held hostage or kept in a basement. And so we're not coming out saying, Hey, I'm a human trafficking survivor. I need help. But we are saying I'm in a domestic violence relationship or I'm homeless or I have an addiction issue and I know the Charleston place can help me. So we spend a lot of time training other organizations that serve vulnerable populations mm. so that they can intervene and we can have the correct screening questions. Uh, we implemented a jail tool. So if you get booked for a DUI tonight, you're going to jail and you're going to get screened these six questions. 
uh, to kind of help identify if you're a potential victim. And then we go in and interview and, and offer that happens services. at the Al Qaeda Detention Center. Mm-hmm. Look at you. It does, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's and awesome. You found that to be successful over yeah. there? Yes. A lot of a lot of victims come through there. So either hospitals or uh, you know, the detention centers. What's unique about human trafficking victims is they're the most criminalized victims. Like you don't see domestic violence victims or sexual assault victims or, you know, murder victims, their family going to jail as much as you do human trafficking victims. So that's a place that um, we intersect with a lot of potential victims. What is, um, what's been the greatest lesson that you've learned since you started this deal, what, three years ago? Survivors are the expert of their recovery. And that even me as a survivor cannot speak to every issue and can't solve this problem on its own because it is so nuanced. I can speak to how to serve familial sex trafficking survivors, but I don't know what it's like to be gang trafficked or what it's like to have an intimate partner traffic me or what it's like to be uh, trafficked through a brothel. And all of those victims have to be served differently. And all of those victims need to be approached differently and need different options and services. And so uh, making sure that you're getting the community that you're serving, their input, making sure that they have a seat at the table is so, so invaluable and so important in how you provide services. When you look at, uh, if somebody walks in your door or your, your screening process, mm-hmm. um, are there ident- what, are they, what are the identifiers? What are the red flags? Um, Because I think about, you know, I think about parents who may have a 16-year-old at home or a 17-year-old home Mm -hmm. or a 15-year-old home, right? What's that red flag or the multiple red flags? So it looks different based on what the survivor is or what kind of trafficking is happening, which is why it's kind of hard with red flags. However, we have a series of questions that we ask people that kind of give us an indicator if there's potential trafficking. So if you've ever had to exchange sex for drugs, money, a safe place to stay, a meal, Mm. uh, that's a potential that you might potentially be a victim of human trafficking. And so we ask some more questions around that. If you um, show up somewhere, we ask, have you ever been asked to do a job and find out the duties or the tasks are different than what you were promised? Mm -hmm. What it was said. Than what was said. Has, Has anyone ever kept... Um, money from you when you completed a task what happens if you don't have sex for money or drugs is there punishment involved and so those are some of the questions that we can ask specifically an individual but red flags if you're looking at somebody who is potentially vulnerable to trafficking Mm. the more vulnerabilities you're collecting the easier it is for somebody to exploit them So if your parents are divorced at a young age or if you've experienced childhood sexual abuse or if you've experienced homelessness or there's addiction in your family, kind of the more of those that you collect, the easier it is for someone to come in and exploit those vulnerabilities. So parents realizing and being able to identify and talk about those vulnerabilities with their kids are really important. They need to know that, well, I'm divorced and my kid is spending time with my, you know, their father and me. And that's a vulnerability that we need to look at and just be 
extra careful about talking about what that looks like and how that's affected my child. Um, you know, internet safety and things like that. Mm-hmm. Kids are so vulnerable these days too. And they're so exposed too. Oh, so exposed. Uh, I, I just heard about the new Grand Theft Auto lets you purchase prostitutes. You could murder them. You could take a screenshot of it all in a video game. And so the culture is teaching young kids that this hypersexuality and, and violence and degradation towards women is normal and is okay. And so parents got to have tough conversations with their kids. And I think that's one of the best ways to prevent vulnerabilities is talking about sex, talking about healthy relationships, talking about um, love and self-worth and things like that is is crucial. You have to do it. If you don't do it, someone else will do it with your kids. Do you find that um, this topic is talked about more than when you started on this path? Yes, absolutely. It's in the news more. Um, it's starting to get a little more traction. It's becoming more of like a hot topic to talk about. So yes, I am seeing a lot of momentum. Thank goodness. And that has affected your nonprofit. How? It has definitely affected in many ways. Um, you're slammed. People are wanting to get involved. Yeah. People want to know what they can do and how they can help. And they're I've never come across a career, a passion, or a profession that can't impact this space. So there is ways for you to tangibly get involved. Um, nonprofits are bootstrapping, you know, serving victims, and so we need financial support, but we also need time, and we need mentors, and we need mm. people who can do transportation or volunteer or help us throw events, or if you cut hair to cut survivor's hair, or if you our dentists, survivors need dental care. There's um, always a way that people can get involved and and impact this issue, which I think is really awesome. You don't even think about those small things, right? About getting a haircut, Mm -hmm. getting your teeth cleaned, Mm -hmm. getting your eyes checked. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. Because I would would assume that most survivors don't have uh, dental insurance or vision insurance. No. And uh, letting, you know, it's important to have conversations with like dentists about trauma-informed, how do you do that in a trauma-informed manner when we have triggers and things like that? So partnering with healthcare providers and um, making sure they're a safe place for survivors to access services is important. We can't just send them to anybody. Feel like your nonprofit's just scratching the surface? Yes, definitely. It's one of those things where... I want to spread more awareness. We need more help. But the more awareness I spread, the more victims we're coming across. And, you know, our capacity is small, but the need is is huge. The need is great. And you'll never say no. No. So you're like, sorry, we're a little busy today. Right. Can you come back uh, next Thursday at 2? No, we won't. We will not. Um, I would be... um, I would be remiss not to ask you about the Jefferson Awards because that's how you and I initially became... um, connected and acquainted and, um, what it, what it meant to you. Um, and, um, I I think that's important to ask. Yeah, it was life changing, honestly. And I didn't know that it was going to be that way. Uh, going in, I was like, great, I'm going to get an award. This is awesome. It'll give us some recognition, (laughs) but I didn't realize the scale of, of the Jefferson awards and the audience that was going to be able to hear about what we're doing and sometimes I can be one of those you know people that's like no we don't need recognition it's fine like we're just gonna 
you know, keep grinding and keep doing the work. But I realize I, I can't be a leader that says, no, it's not a big deal because I can't be one of those people that's like, do as I say, not as I do. Because this work is hard work and it, it's not just anyone that can do this work. My employees are rock stars and it's hard, grueling, traumatizing work. And so um, being able to, to recognize the work that we've been doing and the survivors that have been brave and left their exploitive situations and have helped us shape the formation project, it was so meaningful. It was cool that people care about this issue. Mm-hmm. It was like a standing ovation of people who were genuinely impacted by the work that we do. And, as, and just personally as a survivor, it was so healing to see that. Because oftentimes we're, we're exploited so publicly and our trauma happens so publicly, we think, does the community care about this? Mm-hmm. Or does the community care that this is happening to us? And just looking at a room full of hundreds of people standing up saying, oh my God, I didn't know this was happening and I want, I want to help was really healing for me. And I showed the videos to our survivors and they were like, this is amazing. Mm. I can't believe it. Um, and so they were really proud as well. I got you in your feelers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Punched little, you right in your feelers. Just a little. <laughs> well, but that's good because I'm sure, you know, you look back in your life and those feelers for a long time weren't even there. They couldn't even recognize that. Right. Yes. There was probably... No such thing as gratitude in your life for a long time. No, but I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I made it out and that, you know, like I have to remind myself not everyone makes it out of this alive. And I'm so thankful that every day I get to go to work and spend time with these brilliant, amazing, resilient people. Um, Yeah, I'm blessed. Yeah. Well, I am. um, I am proud every day that I see you out there. I mean, I know what you're doing in your space. I know what you're doing day to day, but whenever I see you in a headline somewhere, right? I'm so proud of you. Cause I knew, you know, I knew, I knew it was there. I knew that, you know, and that's what I tell people sometimes that Jefferson award and going to the national gala. Um, because I've had, I've had, you know, Emily tell me and Christian tell me and those who have been there and experienced that it kind of just gives you a kick in the pants, yes. you know, um, to say, okay, there's more to do, mm-hmm. right? Let's go get it. So yeah. crazy times. Thank you. You're welcome. Couldn't, could not have done it without you. Well, I couldn't have done it without you, <laughs> right? So I don't know. Um, tell people uh, if they need to get a hold of you, where to find you. Yeah, our website is theformationproject.org. If you're local and you want to volunteer, we have quarterly volunteer trainings. We're having a big event March 14th. Uh, at the Harbor Club and tickets are on sale on our website where you can learn more about what we've done this past year and what we're looking at for 23 and 24. And if um, if somebody's out there being trafficked, how do they get a hold of you? How you, does that work? So you can either call uh, the Formation Project. We have a number on our website. There's also a form on our website that you can call or you can submit um, and our program director will reach out to you. Awesome. Anything else you want to share? I don't think so. You're just badass? Yeah. Just badass, duh. <laughs> All right. Our thanks to Kat uh, for sharing so openly and honestly. Uh, if you have any questions for her, she's easy to find. You can find her at theformationproject.org. 
Once again, uh, we are coming to you from uh, the Ripple Studios. Uh, it is a, a nonprofit incubator uh, here in downtown Charleston. Uh, we uh, work with nonprofits in our space, an open office space, if you will, for nonprofits. If you know anybody that may need uh, assistance uh, who uh, may be running a nonprofit, thinking about getting into the nonprofit area, or if you run a nonprofit and need some help, feel free to reach out to me. I'm easy to find. It's ripple.deanstevens at gmail.com. Once again, our thanks to Bullets Benign uh, for allowing us to uh, use their music. And uh, most of all, thanks to you uh, for listening to Say Your Story. I'm Dean Stevens. May your days be filled with peace and your nights be filled with quiet. Because I'm finding my way back to you. Hey,